Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 31, if you're a bit unfamiliar with the Bible, if you open it up about right to the middle, you'll hit the book of Psalms and there's 150 different ones, and we're in the 31st Psalm. So as Pastor Jeff said, these are songs. A psalm is a type of song. It's a genre of songs. So we have different kinds of songs, right? Some of you like country, jazz, rock, classical. A psalm is a song type. And they are given to us to sing. I uh, enjoy reading Pilgrim's Progress this fall. It looks like we'll have a Sunday school class on Pilgrim's Progress. I want you to get that in your mind. But towards the end of it, um, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's, it's an allegory, a story of a guy named Christian who comes to faith and it's his journey from uh, that day until the end when he is welcomed into God's presence. And, you know, he, he goes through a lot of difficulty through it. And one of his companions is named Hopeful. And as Christian and Hopeful get close to the celestial city, close to God's presence in heaven, they have to cross over a river. And the river's deep and it's terrifying and it's also difficult because they're right there before heaven and they can see it. And they have gotten, especially Christian has gotten the expectation that he's been through the tough stuff. And now there's just ease and comfort and joy. And he meets some folks right before the river who warn him that he has two very great trials yet to come. And one is this river. And he gets there, he doesn't want to go into it, he doesn't want to cross it, he is terrified of it, and yet he must. He has to go through it. And so he begins to, and the water is overwhelming him, and he's going under, and all along the way, Hopeful is encouraging him, reminding him of God's goodness, telling him if he just puts his feet on the bottom, he'll be able to stand up and walk through, and Hopeful is encouraging him. And Christian actually is telling Hopeful that, yeah, yeah, that's good for you. It's not good for me. And Hopeful says, no, you can see the city. They're there waiting to welcome you. And Christian says, no, no, no. They're there to welcome you, not me. I'm going down. And there's this great turmoil. I think what's going on in that part of the story is Hopeful's encouragement of him is like Sunday morning. It's you coming again to receive the truth from God's Word in the preaching and in song that helps you just keep your nose above the water, to set your sights on God and His faithfulness and kindness and mercy for others to remind you, no, this gospel is for you. This truth is for you. It's not just for everybody else. You need it. And that's particularly true in the Psalms. It's doubly true in Psalm chapter 31. And so don't forget, brothers and sisters, that what you're going to hear this morning is for you. 
These psalms, these songs, which are often called God's prayer book, it's the book given to you, are for you. That you can learn how to endure trials and difficulties, to sing, to pray, to see God's goodness, to help each other with it. The psalms are our songbook, they are our prayer book, and they are the most commonly quoted book in the Bible by other books in the Bible. Do you know that? When God's people need help, they always go to the Psalms. All of the prophets quote them. In fact, Psalm 31 is quoted both by Jonah and by Jeremiah. Psalm 31. Jesus, if you're not already familiar, his last words on earth are verse 5 of this Psalm. So Psalms have been given to you in song form because songs stick, don't they? All week long, for whatever reason, one Sunday morning song sticks. And I find myself singing it. So these songs are meant to stick, to get into your bones, to remind you of the truth of God's goodness and faithfulness, to remind you to fear Him above all else, so that you can endure difficulties in this world. And so I hope you're here to get some of that today, uh, particularly Psalm 31. So let me read. It's a longer psalm, and so in preaching it, I can't, you know, we're not going to be able to go line by line or anything. We're just going to try to get some of the main things here. So I hope you can have ears to hear right now. And so give yourselves to hearing Psalm 31. To the choir master, a psalm of David. So don't forget that that title is actually part of the inspired word of God. The psalmist here, the songwriter, King David, that's a part of it. And right away, it's a song. To the song leader, here, put some music to this. Let's sing this. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You have not, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Rest trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. 
My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. For I tell, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak instantly against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store store them in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord. For he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and take heart and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Faithful Lord, teach us to seek you with all of our heart. Teach us that our ways may be steadfast in keeping all of your laws. In Jesus' name, amen. The end of the psalm, the last two verses there, as Pastor Jeff pointed out, are in a call urging us to love God, to put our lives in his hands, that Our strength, that taking courage, is simply trusting in Him. This is what Christ had to do throughout His entirety of His ministry. His life was nothing but trusting in Himself to God, so He didn't fear man so much, but He just feared God. And it's from Psalms like this that He got that strength. So why did He quote verse 5 on the cross? Don't get the picture of Him as this kind of stoical figure who is just quoting Scripture to show you what Christians should do when they're hanging on a cross. Rather, he's a man whose songs of gods dwelt in his bones. And what came out was what was within. What he uttered in giving up his life was... A song that he had sung defined him. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So you know that as Christians, the one thing we are aiming at is to become more like Christ. That's it, right? That's what you want to be. More like Christ. You want to learn to learn from him how you should think and feel and dress. We want to become like him in everything. And do you know that the evening before he was betrayed, when he sat down to the meal with the disciples when he did the Lord's Supper, do you know what they sang? Psalms. Several of them. And so that's what we want to be. We we want to become like Christ in everything. And so he, he even wants you to become like him in the songs you sing. And so learn to sing the psalms. Learn these songs. There's 150 of them. They're rich. They're good. 
All right, so Psalm 31 itself, there are some psalms we'll go into that are very neatly organized. You can follow a pattern, an outline in them. Psalm 31 is not like that at all. It's more like your life. It's very confused and messy and up and down and back and forward. There, there is a little bit of organization. You could maybe hear it in uh, verse 9. So the first ver- eight verses, he's kind of just plunging into his pain a bit. And at the end of it, he seems to be trusting in those first eight verses. I, into your hand I commit my spirit. I hate those who hate you. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. And you kind of feel like he's gotten through it. And then in verse 9, he returns right back to it. Be gracious to me, O God. I am in distress. What happened to your joy in verse 8? You got there. You broke through to some peace. Some happiness in God. Why, why let yourself go right back to the sorrow and pain? Like, but you get that, don't you? That's your life. It's back and forth. It's up and down. Sometimes tens of times in an hour. So I find this psalm very helpful. So what David is doing is he's just kind of expressing to God his pain and his hope and then his joy and then he's right back down and deeper into the sorrow. And he's fighting his way back out by faith to joy and sorrow and then he's right back down. He's fighting his way back to hope and trust and joy and he's right back down. And so this psalm is more of a blender where it's all in there. He trusts in God and he's terrified. He praises God and he curses the wicked. He, he's expecting God's deliverance and calling on him to it as he's calling on you to do the same. And we don't know why David wrote this psalm. We don't know what was going on in his life. We don't know the historical situation. He doesn't tell us, which I think is helpful because it's so easily applicable then to your situation. But we know that there's something going on where someone that he trusted or maybe a group of people have turned on him. There's whispering, there's gossiping, there's planning and plotting and scheming. And so he's in real trouble. And he's turning to God in it. All right, so that's what this psalm is about. It's this blender of experience of calling on God in a great difficulty. He's alone. He's betrayed. It's not easy. It's not easy. But he deals with it in song. He deals with it in song. I think you get that, don't you? God has made you and he's wired you such that songs are a main way that God has given you to deal with this life. That you might have confidence in God, that you might call on God to deliver you, that you might remind yourself of the great truths of who God is. And so don't 
Don't be so proud as to not give yourself to singing. I wonder, there's some men in here who raise their hand and sing. I wonder why your children don't. Kids, why don't you honor your dad and follow his example? Or others, why, why don't you give yourself? Why, why don't you lift up your voice and call on God as if you need him? Do you not need him? Are you good in of yourself? Or maybe you've forgotten that other people need your example of singing. And they can see you. And they need to gather some strength and some hope from you just by how you're singing. Turn, if you would, quick, keeping your finger there, to Colossians chapter 3. Every time I preach the Psalms, we, we look at this, so hopefully you're not tired of it yet. Look at Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians is in the New Testament, way towards the end of your Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, he's teaching us urging us on how to, to be with each other in worship. In verse 14, above all these, put on love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. And then here it is, verse 16. Here's how to be when you gather to worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How? Singing. Psalms. Singing what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we don't actually know what those three descriptions of types of music are. Uh, We know what psalms are. Now, hymns, you might think of like, great is thy faithfulness, you know, that came a few years after David, or a few years after Paul wrote that. It's a, it's a type of song, and then spiritual songs. The likely, or the best explanation I've read is these are three types of psalms. Three types of songs written in the psalms. Maybe. I don't know. But you're supposed to sing. You preach to each other when you sing. You teach each other when you sing. That's particularly true of the congregation in our church that's about that high and under. Did you know that? Do you know that, Grandpa? Grandma? The grandkids are watching you sing. They're learning more from how you sing than from what they're learning from me, probably. Right? Husband, your wife, needs to be led by you spiritually. Part of that leadership is giving yourself in singing, though your kind of skin crawls with it, wondering what other is going to think about you. And so we have this great privilege to teach and admonish one another, to help each other, particularly in the singing, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that's one of the reasons we want to do 10 Psalms this summer. So let's go back to Psalm 31. So you can see throughout the psalm, he's in anguish. There's a lot of pain here. Even right from the beginning, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Now that's an, a proclamation of his faith. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. But if you think at all, why does he need to take refuge? He's being hunted. He's in trouble. Let me never be put to shame. Why does he have to pray that? 
Because there are some people who are seeking to put him to shame. Rescue me speedily. Into your hands I commit myself. You ever have that kind of experience in your life where you're really struggling to trust God? You're just full of doubt and anxiety and fearfulness and fretfulness and you're just trying to trust God with it. A very painful place to pee. It wears you out. That's where he is. Listen to the gut-wrenching descriptions in verses 9 to 18. I'm in distress. Then he goes through his body. My eye, my soul, my body wasting away from grief. His experience at this time is his whole entire life is spent with sorrow. Sorrow is exhausting. His years have been just frittering away with sighing. He's a young man full of strength, but his strength is failing because of his own sin. His bones even are wasting away. He's got adversaries. They're reproached. Even his neighbors now no longer even want to look at him. They walk away from him. Verse 12. He's just forgotten. He's abandoned. He's alone. Whispering all around him. They're scheming. He's a pariah. An outcast. A despised one. Tell you the truth. Most of this week, studying this psalm, I didn't like it at all. And the reason I didn't like it is because I didn't like the pain in it. It's very difficult to read, thinking of this pain and you know, trying to figure out why. It's like, I don't ever want to be in that kind of pain again. It's very fearful. And just reading it had a reaction in my life of like, I don't even want to read this. I don't want to ever think that I could be in that place again. Ever. I don't. I hate it. And part of that is, you know, the thing that drives us in our culture more than anything, well, what is it? What do you think? What is our culture all about? What's at the heart of us? Yeah. Pleasure. If there's one thing we're committed to more than anything else, it's like just scratching our itch. Our comfort, our ease. And so we are convinced, even as Christians, that if God loves us, the one thing that we won't suffer is pain. Because we just want our pleasure. Have you heard the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn before? Yeah? Some of you? He was a Russian guy um, who was super courageous in writing publicly against and about the terrors that were happening in communist Russia. He was arrested several times in prison in the gulags and wrote about it publicly. Uh, and opened the eyes of the world to the rest of the world what was happening there. And because of that, at one point he was exiled from Russia and he ended up in America. And uh, it happened that Americans hated him too. 
50 years ago yesterday, he gave the commence, he was asked to give the commencement address at Harvard. I'd encourage you to Google it. You don't know how to spell Solzhenitsyn, but once you start Googling, I didn't, it pops up there for you. And so if you put Alexander Solzhenitsyn, like Harvard commencement or something like that, you'll, there's a YouTube video of it. He actually gives the speech in Russian, and there's a woman giving it simultaneously in English, which is very difficult to listen to. Uh, so there's others who've read it, but you can get the text of it. The premise of it was that there are two worlds that separate the world. And I think most expected him to say that there's communism and democracy, and that he was going to blow sunshine up the skirts of us Americans who love democracy. That wasn't what he, he said. And actually, during the speech, they were hissing at him. They hated him. Because he said there's those who are committed to truth and with courage suffer for it, and those who are utterly committed to their own pleasure and comfort and who no longer care about truth. And he was condemning America because we were way, he gave this in the 70s, we, we were way in to that already in the 70s. We will no longer endure truth because of our commitment to our pleasure. So that's why I didn't like this psalm. Because I don't want anything to cut in on my comfort and ease. And so we'll sacrifice everything. Truth for our comfort, for getting that next thing that we want to get. For our sexual debauchery. Will that's what drives you. Do you know that? You're not above this culture. That's what you're committed to above all else. So you read a psalm like this, and I wonder, can you, can you let it do the work that it's given you to do? Which is to show you that there is no hope at all in the God of pleasure. There's no hope at all in the God of ease and comfort. There is only hope in the God of heaven. And the God who didn't spare his only son, but graciously gave him up for us all. That if you fear pain and loss more than you fear God, you will lose. And you will experience excruciating pain. And that, that, that was the help I got, finally. And if you fear God more than you fear your loss, your pain, fear what others will do to you, then you don't have to be so afraid. It also is true that if you're actually going to live Christian, you will suffer. We, we say that all the time here. Why is the songwriter suffering? It isn't because of he's a, you know, okay. Those of you who are artists, you know, you're kind of given to more artistic things. And in our day, artists are often very inwardly bent. They're navel gazers. They're uh, all about themselves. And their angst is often that other people don't get them and 
aren't all about them to the extent that they are. That's not what David's struggling with here. He's struggling because he loves God and so people hate him. Remember Jesus when he was on earth, he was uh, interacting with the Pharisees and he was telling them that they're trying to kill him. You remember what they said to him? You have a demon. You're nuts. Well, this is what the psalmist is dealing with. Pain and sorrow and terror because he loves God. Because he fears God. He has regard for God's truth more than anything else. That causes him loss and pain, betrayal, loneliness, isolation. That's our reality. Some of you have experienced that. And this is what you're going to do. There's two choices there. You can entrust yourself to God and stand firm in the truth and suffer loss here, which is so pleasing to God. Or you can try to keep everybody happy. You can kind of go soft on some of the truth and convince yourself that you're actually being righteous because that truth isn't the hill to die on and I don't want to turn people away from the truth. And so sometimes you got to kind of be like the world in order to win the world. Where does that stop? So we're reminded in Psalm 31 that being a child of God means that you will have to fight to take refuge in God because you'll often be hated in this world if you're going to actually be a Christian and hated. I mean, is there anything more painful in this world than being abandoned and betrayed and turned away by those that you thought you could trust? Is there anything more painful than that? For people, actual other human beings, disown you in the break room, in the lunch room. They won't sit by you anymore. They won't talk to you. They won't acknowledge your friendship anymore. Or maybe a coworker who bends the knee to whatever the world is demanding, all the while proclaiming behind the scenes that he or she is still a Christian. And so you no longer have anybody to stand with you. And so the psalmist here is forced to fight that he actually has to trust in God. Look at verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Look at verse 15. My times are in your hands. Do, Do you actually need to entrust yourself to God like that? Are you living your life in such a way that you actually have to entrust yourself to God? Now, when he says that, I don't want us to mistake, because this is a, how many of you have had a friend when you have some difficulty in your life, some pain, and they say, you just need to trust God with that. And that can be very helpful, but it can also be very unhelpful. You know, because you're like, well, yeah, duh. What do you think I'm trying to do here? And sometimes all they mean is, I don't want your pain to affect me at all. What they're actually saying is like, would you mind talking to somebody else when they say that? 
That's what they're saying. Now, some people will really listen and they go into your pain and then they, they do have to say to you, you have to trust God. But they've proven that they're, they're helpful in bearing the pain with you. They, they want to do that. And so this is what David's doing, though. Into your hand I commit my spirit. My, my times are in your hands, O oh God. Can't help but think of John 10 there. Remember in John 10? Jesus is fighting the wolves. And they're trying to make him say something that will allow them to condemn him. Tell us, are you the Christ? Jesus said, I told you, you won't believe me. But my sheep will believe me. They hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So the Christian in suffering is fighting to believe that. That God holds us in his hand. That isn't just sentimental hogwash. That that God holds us. In fact, he goes on, my father has given them to me. He is greater than them all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. So David is fighting here, showing us how to fight. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now don't make the mistake, other mistakes here. These aren't just like magic words. Sometimes I think we get the mistaken impression that if you say that, then that should make everything better right now. And, and the struggle shouldn't return. And you get you know, discouraged when you're, you're fighting to trust your life into God's hands and it's not working. Because you think the battle should be really quick and easy and done right away. Like David didn't just pray this once and all was well. You'll notice that he, he said down in uh, verse 10 that his battle was like a life of sorrow. It wasn't just like a quick skirmish where he overwhelmed the enemy and, and he felt better right away and, and for a long time. His ordeal was a long time. His bones are wasting away. And so you have to fight to believe God holds you in his hands, that he can be entrusted with your soul. It won't be quick and easy. You have to keep fighting. And also, this doesn't mean that when you say, I trust myself in God's hands, that, that that's just, you can be passive now. Entrusting yourself to God's hands, letting Jesus take the wheel, doesn't mean you don't have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. What kind of work? Well, singing. That's the work David's doing here. He's singing. He's praying, of course. So maybe the work that God wants you to do to deal with your turmoil and pain is to sing yourself hoarse. To just grab one of these songs and pour out your guts. That's a, that's a good work. Maybe, as David does here, you know, he's going through this, but he's also writing this for the sake of others. Pastor Jeff pointed it out that one of the reasons we sing these psalms, it isn't just for ourselves, it's for others. It's to encourage others. Love the Lord, all you his saints. Listen, the Lord does preserve the faithful in verse 23. Be strong in verse 23. Let your heart take courage. Maybe what you need to do in order to 
get through your ordeal is ask for somebody else's help. Somebody that can be trusted. Maybe you need to be this for somebody else. That's the work you have to do. You've gone through a lot. And you're here now to help others who are going through a lot. Take a psalm with you. Don't rely on your own wisdom. Use God's. Psalm 31 will be a ton of help to you. Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Rely on each other. Build relationships. And some of you feel alone here. You don't have the relationships you see others having. That can be our fault. But it it might be that you just aren't around us very much. You're closed off to others here. You come in and you get out real quick. Christ didn't die and give us the church so that, you know, like it's a fast food thing. You got to sit and you got to dwell and you got to give yourself. But this is a reminder, too, of what Christ did for us. He, he did die in our place for us, and he suffered greatly at the hands of wicked people. And I do want you to know that when you're in suffering, you'll never do it sinlessly. You know that? There's, we, I say this from time to time. I've learned it from others. We say it in elder means We say it. Like, there's no situation you won't make worse. And you'll need a savior in your suffering. You'll need a sinless one who died, who is your righteousness, when you're screwing up your suffering royally. When you make it worse in your pride. When you return evil for evil. When you handle the pain with alcohol or with pornography or with eating a whole bunch or cracking up a whole bunch of credit card debt. You'll need Christ's forgiveness of your sins and your suffering. And so, do you know what he didn't do when he was betrayed and mocked and scorned and beat up? Do you know what he never did? Sinned. (laughs) I mean, the place that you are most vulnerable to sin is when you're in pain. Did you know that? Hurting people love to do one thing. Hurt other people. Christ never did it. Ever. Now, he was no, like, spineless jellyfish. I mean, some of the things he said against the enemies of God's people, you would never say. And all of the older women would tisk you if you said them. So, so don't, don't view Jesus as this, like, weak-kneed, gentle guy all the time. But he didn't sin in his pain. And I'm not telling you that to shame you. You know why I'm telling you that? Because he's your righteousness. You, God isn't mainly mistreating you because you're so unrighteousness in your pain. Christ is your righteousness in your pain and sorrow and grief and your loss when you have enemies. God is not expecting perfection out of you in order to get you out of your pain. Christ is your perfection. 
Now, of course, in your pain, he is using it for great good spiritually. He is teaching you to trust him. This is the main reason for it. You shouldn't harbor sin in your pain or excuse it at all. But you should look to Christ who is your righteousness. And then, notice, did praise God. He was full of thanksgiving. He's crying out to God for his help. And he's praising him. Look at verse 7. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Why? Because you've seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And so don't neglect to praise God and give him thanks for all the good that he has done and all that he is. In verse 19, oh, oh, this isn't just a small praise. This is like an expansive, oh, how abundant is your goodness. So praise him in it. Praise him in your depression. Don't be, don't give way to grumbling and ingratitude. That's just a sin to be repented of like everything else. Give thanks to him. Love the Lord, O you his saints. Do it expansively. Give yourself to praising him. That's our lives, isn't it? We're very complicated in this. We live lives of a mixture. You can have sorrow and pain and praise God, can't you? You can doubt and be full of anxiety and trust God, can't you? Can you? Yeah. And so this is real. This is real. And so it's okay to, to be a mess. I'm not saying like angsty teenage boy girl Facebook trying to get you know sympathy and whatever from everybody. I mean like a real mess. It's okay. But praise him. Why? Why should you praise him? What's the reason? He sent his son to die for you. That's true, isn't it? That's enough, isn't it? He's promised you eternal life with Him. That's enough, isn't it? Hold fast to Him. Let's ask God's help. Let's pray. Father, please help us to have faith, to trust You, call on You for help, give ourselves to needing the help of others in our difficulty to being up and down and confessing and pleading. and God, please, give us grace in this. But more than anything, help us to praise you as we call on you for help. Help us to give ourselves to thanking you for all the good that you do give us, for all the good that you've promised us. And so, God, have mercy on those who are suffering. Give them hope in you. Help others to be a help to them. And God, those who are not in suffering, help them to continue to look to you and not rely on themselves at all. And so God, teach us to sing like this. In Jesus' name, amen.